Good morning. Good morning. Oh, that was great. <laughs> I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from the off-site campuses or in the internet or listening to a podcast, wherever you happen to be. We're glad that you are along uh, for the ride today, and it's going to be a ride. I am so excited about this weekend, and let me tell you why. We're, we're starting a fast. You guys started it, sounded exciting. I didn't, but it's going to be great. I've been bulking up. I feel good. I'm ready to go. Well, I invited, um, and, and by the way, there's, there's information on the city uh, on the fast. We're going to have a post every day to kind of keep you updated. And there's ways you can get recipes if you're doing a Daniel fast or another kind of fast and give your testimonies. We'd love for you to interact in that way. But um, about four years ago, a friend of mine, Stovall Weems, who is a pastor of one of the greatest churches in America and, and around the world. They actually have campuses around the world. One of the largest churches, one of the fastest growing churches in America, a celebration church in Jacksonville, Florida. And Stovall's my buddy. He's my friend. You know, a lot of times I tell you I bring my friends in, and I do, but there are some friends that are like really friends. You understand what I'm saying? They, like you text back and forth, and they're your best friends forever, BFF, you know, or whatever. <laughs> Well, Stovall's one of those, and uh, we have a great time together, and I'm so proud of what God is doing in their church. Stovall called me, and uh, before I talk about that, we, we, uh, we are co-partners in the ARC, the Association of Related Churches, and we've you know, planted a couple hundred churches, and, and we're on the, uh, we're on the uh, lead team, and so uh, we have a great time doing that and relating together and changing the world through church planting. Well, Stovall called me about four years ago and he said, man, he said, we, do you guys fast? And I said, well, sure we fast, you know. And he said, well, good. Well, well, like we fast like at the beginning of the year. And I said, well, you know, I do too. It's great. I try to fast like a meal on a Wednesday or, you know, <laughs> that, that type thing. Stovall said, I, Stovall said, well, we fast 21 days. And I said, man, that is awesome. God bless you. I'm very excited for you. <laughs> and uh, he said, he said, I believe God has spoken to me to have a bunch of my friends and churches around America, maybe around the world, to join me in a 21-day fast. I said, I'm excited for you. And he said, well, I'd like you to join. It's like, wow, that's, I haven't done a 21-day fast. I've fasted for shorter periods of time, never 21. And so he guilted me right into it. And, and it's one of the greatest things that I've ever done. In fact, I've said to the church and some of my friends, I hope that every year for the rest of my life, I begin it with at least a 21-day fast. It's been powerful. God has done things in our church. God has done things in our own family. Uh, Stovall has just released a book called Awakening, 21 Days to Revolutionize Your Relationship with God, which is kind of a, a fast how-to and also a recount of some of the things that have been done. And uh, our family story uh, is in here. Uh, this is the powerful, incredible thing that God did in our family in the fast uh, two years ago. Uh, but I asked Stovall if he would come and he would speak to you guys. And uh, so uh, what I, what I want to do is I want you guys in the campuses and here at Long Point Road, I want you to give like a huge seacoast welcome to Stovall Weems as he comes to teach us this weekend. <laughs> Thanks, man. Hey, come on. At all of our locations, let's give it up for our lead pastor, Pastor Greg Surratt. Huh? Aren't you awesome? Man, it's, it's such a... I want to say hello to all the Seacoast 
uh, locations and Happy New Year to all you guys. It's a real honor to be here. It's a real honor to be at Seacoast. You guys are like world-renowned. Your pastor is not only famous, but I consider him a mentor of mine, and Greg has poured a lot into my life. Let me just tell you a few things about your pastor, because I, I like saying these things, because I know Greg, he's about the last person that will talk about himself. How many of you know that? One of the most hum- humble leaders in some respects, I know, but... But but your pastor, not only does he love God, not only does he love you, not only does he love people, but, but he is a, a brilliant man. He's a great leader. He's a thinker. My nickname for Greg, I call Greg the mad scientist of Christianity. He's always hatching something up in the lab, you know what I'm saying, that's going to kind of be able to take the church to the next level. And so I'm looking forward tonight, or I'm looking forward this weekend visiting with Greg and talking about all the great things going on, (laughs) talking about all the great things going on for the new year, and uh, you guys just have a tremendous church, you know, uh, and tremendous leaders, tremendous staff, let's give your staff a hand, huh, what a great staff, wow, and uh, and I mean, Greg, you're so blessed, not only your staff, but all your kids are here, and your ninth grandchild is on the way. I mean, come on, it's, it's the nine gifts of the Spirit, it's the nine fruits of the Spirit, and you're about to enter into the nine blessings of grandfatherhood, so you've got it all there, but it's a real honor to be here. You know, we have a lot of traffic back and forth between Jacksonville and Charleston, and we do have a, a number of people in our church that were in Seacoast at one time, and, uh, and Greg kicked them out, and they came to Celebration Church, normally... <laughs> kidding they they had transferred or something like that and there's this precious woman that started going to our church i believe it was about a year ago and she came up to me right off the bat she said you know i'm from seacoast and pastor surratt and and uh you know i hope i I hope i can kind of fit in here i'm already i miss my church so much and i love pastor greg and you know now she'd been coming for a few months she's like god just miss seacoast so much and pastor greg i just missed him so i'm like come can you throw me a bone and you know and finally, she came up to me a few months after that, and she said, uh, you know, I, I have to tell you this, going to Seacoast and Celebration Church has been such a blessing in my life, and I finally figured out what God's doing in my life. She said, you know, Jesus says not to be lukewarm, that you either need to be hot or you need to be cold, or I'll spew you out of my mouth. And she says, when I go to Seacoast and I listen to Greg Surratt, she says, I feel so refreshed. It's like this cool, refreshing water just coming down on me. And she, said, and she says, and when I go to Celebration Church and listen to you, it's hot, man. It's like the fire of God heating up on, on the inside of me. She says, so this is perfect. I've got Greg so I can stay cold and I've got you so I can stay hot. I know I'm not ever going to be lukewarm between you guys. I thought that was cute. If you have your Bibles, I want you to take them out and, uh, and go with me to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew chapter 17. I'm really pumped to be here, pumped to talk to you guys for a few minutes tonight. And uh, before I do that, I do want to say that I have my book here and I'm not into self-promotion and all that kind of stuff. But I do want to say this, that I believe in the message in this book. 
And uh, I'm passionate about people having a passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. How many of you at all of our locations believe that a passionate relationship with Christ should be the norm, not the exception? Should be the norm, not the exception. And that's what awakening is all about. It does include the fast, but it's much more than that. It's about how to have that everyday passionate relationship that Jesus wants us to have. So I believe there's copies at every location. If you can't afford it, you can just take it, just write a IOU and say Bill Stovall or whatever. I just want the message to get in as many hands as possible. And of course, there is a 21-day plan and all the things you need to know about fasting. Who is really fired up for the fast this year? Right? Okay, right here on, on the end. Do you, Tark, help me or somebody help me. I don't, I don't want to make anybody get up. So uh, Over here, who's really fired? How about the young man right there? Okay, you have to get up. Okay, you come over here. And, 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 what is, and at our, <laughs> and at the rest of our locations, just, just tell them to give you some books or something. Say, I, I would have called your name if I was actually in that room. So, so now, now are you, are you guys, are y'all a little bit of a talk back, kind of like an amen? Do y'all do amens every now and then? I'm just, I need just a few amens. I'm not as secure in my communication as Greg. And so, so every now and then I need a few, you know, at least a Presbyterian nod, like, you know, okay, you're, you're hearing a few amens every now and then. It would really help me out. So, but we're pumped, man. I'm pumped about awakening. You know, last year we had over a thousand churches that represented over a million people in attendance in those churches that participated in awakening. Of course, Seacoast was one of those churches. This year, our, we're, our numbers were going to exceed that. And we have the awakening virtual conference as well that Pastor Greg is also a part of. He's one of our featured speakers in that. We've designed that conference over the 21 days where you can go in and have a spiritual meal when you're at work and you're, when you're at lunch and you're not eating, you have a smoothie, you can go to the website, awake21.org, and you can get about a 10-minute kind of devotional nugget in there from some of the leading pastors and communicators from around the world. So hope you guys will tap into that as well. Matthew, Matthew chapter 17. You guys ready to get into the Word today? Matthew chapter 17. I'm going to begin to read in verse 14 in just a second, but I want to give a little bit of context here as to what's happening by the time we get to verse 14. First of all, at the beginning of this chapter in Matthew 17, this is the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John on top of a mountain and he is brilliantly transformed. That word metamorphosis, he was literally transformed into his glorified state. This is a very powerful thing that's going on here. And I think a lot of times as believers, we kind of glance over this story. We kind of, you know, wow, that's a cool story. Like Jesus glorified himself. But how many of you know Jesus doesn't ever do something just to do it or, or just to show off or just to prove a point, so to speak? But there was a very powerful purpose in this. First of all, it says that Jesus took them up to this mountain after six days, six days before he had said, hey, some of you standing here will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God and its power. And the Bible says after six days, he takes them up to the mountain. Now, I want you to recall in Genesis, 
that six days God created the world in six days and on the seventh day He rested. And so basically, this act of transfiguration on the Mount of Transfiguration, as the Bible calls it, this represents a finishing, so to speak. In other words, on the seventh day, God rested. He had finished His work. This was after six days. It represents a finishing. And what we see from this finishing is when Jesus appears there, He's brilliant, He's transfigured, and Moses and Elijah appear with Him representing the law and the prophets. Then, of course, Peter's like, hey, man, should we make three tabernacles for you guys? Don't you guys love Peter? Peter, Peter's just all, Peter makes me feel good. I love Peter. Peter and I are going to be buddies in heaven. He's always just saying, I mean, this is hilarious. I don't know if he was like, you know, they, they talk about, you know, when the glory of God's so heavy and being drunk in the spirit or, or whatever like that. I mean, I don't know what Peter was, but can you see Peter? What was he thinking? He's a fisherman. He's not a builder. He's like, he's like, man, Jesus, Moses, man, let me build you guys some houses, man. Just, I'll build away, man. I mean, he had so what? And the voice of the Father spoke and said, this is my son, hear him. And of course, Moses and Elijah disappeared. And I think what God was showing to us was a couple of things. First of all, that at, at that point, In Jesus' ministry, Jesus proved that he had lived a sinless life. He was able to be glorified in his perfect state. He had no sin in his life. He had obeyed his Father uh, to perfection. And the other thing I think that it shows us is that the law and the prophets... Remember, this was a transitional time between the covenants. And I believe this was showing that the, the, the law and the prophets were finished from a ministry standpoint. Now, it wasn't finished. Jesus hadn't fulfilled all the prophecies and his sacrifice and things like that. But from a standpoint of the ministry of the law and the prophets in the old covenant, it was over. When God said, this is my son, hear him, what God was saying to all of us is from now on when you read the law and when you read the prophets, you have to filter it through my son Jesus. The ministry of those in and of themselves is over. Everything for the New Testament believer, everything we do, everything we do in the new year, we need to filter through Jesus. When we read the Word and we read the Old Testament, we read the law, we, in the prophets, we filter that with a New Testament filter through the person of Jesus Christ. So it's this incredible experience. They see the glory of God. They experience the power of God. It's the transforming power of God. Peter, James, and John are all fired up. Peter has overcome, you know, his however many rebukes he has gotten to that point. They're all fired up. They're coming down this mountain. And it picks up here in verse 14. So they're coming down this mountain. And in verse 14 it says, And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, speaking of Jesus, kneeling down to him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. For he is an epileptic, and he suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, now watch this. Seems like a very harsh answer. I mean, here's Jesus coming down. Here's this boy. uh, 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 Here's a family in pain, a father and a son, a boy who needs help. Father says, hey, man, your disciples couldn't cure him. Look what Jesus says here in verse 17. It says, Jesus answered and said, oh, faithless and perverse generation. 
How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, and we'll say this mountain move from here to there, it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. See, Coast, do you believe that today? Do you believe that nothing will be impossible for you? I love that song we were singing there at the end. God, I still believe. I still believe. Jesus says nothing will be impossible for you. Verse 21, however, this kind. Everybody say this kind. This kind. This kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, I want you to see there, Jesus wasn't necessarily referring to the demon. He had told them why they couldn't cast it out. It was because of unbelief. So what he's basically saying to us is this type of unbelief, this type of stronghold, this type of faithlessness, this can only change in your life for the impossible to become possible through prayer and fasting. I want to talk to you for a few minutes today, and I've entitled this mission this mission, this message. That's what I do. Is that okay? I feel like I'm at home. Whenever I get tongue-tied, that's what I do. I do. Get some water. I've entitled this message, Awaken to Your Best Year Ever. Your best year is out there. It's out there this year. You've just got to awaken to it. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now, Lord. We thank you for your goodness. Father, I pray in these next few minutes as we unpack your word, God. Lord, I pray that your word does the work. God, I pray for hungry hearts all across our seacoast locations this weekend. God, speak to us today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. How many of you are excited about a great new year? You excited about a great new year? You know, as, as we go into a new year, you hear a whole lot of talk about, man, this is going to be a great year and this is going to be the best year ever. And we, we hear a lot of that. And we're excited about the possibilities of a new year. Many of you, you have New Year's goals, you have New Year's resolutions, and, and, and we're all excited about the possibilities that this new year holds for us. And I want to make you a promise this weekend that truly this year really can be your best year ever. But there's only one way that that's going to happen. This year will be your best year ever if it's your best year spiritually. If it's your best year spiritually. Regardless of what happens on the outside. Regardless of the challenges that you face. And we will all face a lot of challenges in 2011. We will all experience pain in 2011. There will be some disappointment in 2011. But can I tell you this? If 2011 is your best year spiritually, it will be your best year ever. Come on, you can give God a hand for that. That's my hope. See, because that's my hope for Celebration Church, for you guys, for all the churches participating in Awakening, that in 2011 we will glorify God more than ever. 
individually, it will be your best year ever spiritually. Therefore, it will be your best year. You know, I love the mission statement here at Seacoast. Seacoast is here, or Seacoast exists, to help people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. I can promise you this, if you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ in 2011, you're going to have a great year. You're going to have a great year. I love you guys at Seacoast, how you've stuck to your vision about being a church that allows people to come and investigate Christianity. You're a church that reaches people. You're a church that thinks about people. You're a church that, uh, that invites their friends and family. Seacoast is a church that people can grow in a healthy way in their relationship with God. It's intellectually safe. People can come and really sit and learn and experience the presence of God. I love how you guys experience the presence of God. I love Pastor Greg's passion for the presence of God. And can I tell you this? In 2011, the presence of God is what we need more than anything else. More than anything else in your life, you need the presence of God. I need the presence of God. And if we will awaken to what God has for us, if we will awaken to the presence of God more fully, I promise you, you will have a great year. I like what you guys say in your vision about how many you believe that God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above anything you could think or ask. I'm asking you, are you ready to believe God like your vision statement says? Are you ready to open your hearts? Are you ready to stretch your faith? If you'll do that in this year 2011, I'm telling you, it's going to be an awesome year. And these disciples here, I'm sure that, man, they were all fired up, man. And they had come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. And man, we knew it. Jesus is sinless. He was glorified in His heavenly state. We've seen the transforming power of God. And they're coming down this mountain. And I'm sure, man, they felt great. Man, this is going to be a new season. This, we, we've never seen Jesus like this before. He's everything that He said He was and more. And they're coming down. All of a sudden, they come down. And they come off this incredible high. And they come down here to the bottom of the mountain. And here is a... A boy in severe pain. His father, who's just in a terrible pain as well, hurting for his son. Here's the disciples. Can't cast him out. I mean, all kind of, you can imagine the scene going on here. It's like a bad charismatic meeting or something like that. <laughs> but it's amazing how they go from the mountaintop watch this it's amazing how they go to the, from the mountaintop and I mean in two seconds there they are with pain and sorrow and challenges and confusion and isn't that just how life is Amen. man we get all fired up about the new year and we've got our goals man and we're doing our fast and no oh, this is going to be the year and we get filled up with God and all that. But then all of a sudden, what happens? Wham! Life has a way of stacking on the pain, doesn't it? Life throws you a curveball. You get that call. You never thought you'd, you'd get. You, all of a sudden, this thing happens. 
your kids, your family, your business, your finances. What it, we all go through it. It's, it's the world that we live in. Aren't you glad that one day Jesus is going to come back and fix all this mess? Aren't you glad that... Aren't you glad... Aren't you glad that our home is in heaven and it's not on this earth? Come on, can you give God a hand for eternal life? So they, 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 they come or follow this story. So they come down and here's this thing. Here's this situation and, and here's this boy and the demon won't come out. Terrible problem with the family. Don't you find that most, I, I don't know about you, but for me, most of the pain, most of the challenges that I deal with are in my family. That's what's going on right here. It's a family issue. I mean, some family problems are serious. Some aren't so serious. But it causes pain. How many of you, there was some pain over the holidays? Some serious pain. Others, you just got a crazy family. You know what I'm saying? You can't. I mean, you can't stand. You were, you were hoping Seacoast would do a 28th Christmas Eve service so you wouldn't have to go, go to Christmas Eve dinner. Do you know what I'm saying? Please, Pastor Greg, preach longer. Don't make me face those people. How many of you got some crazy people in your family? Raise your hand. How many of you are sitting by them right now? Some of you are like, yeah, yeah. Now, let me, can I help you out here? Now, if when I said, how many of you have some crazy people in your family and you couldn't think of anybody? It's you. You're the crazy. You're the crazy one. It's okay. It's okay. Every family needs some crazy people in the family. It's okay to be one. So Jesus, he comes down here, and, and I don't know about you, but, but me, when I see Jesus' response, it seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? It seems a little bit harsh. Like he comes down, here's this boy who's hurting, here's his father's in pain. The disciples can't cast him out, can't cast the demon out. And Jesus says this, he says, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long... Shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Now remember, Jesus says this, and then he goes on and explains to the disciples why they couldn't cast the demon out. He says, look, it's because of your unbelief. And this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Now let me tell you something very, very important about this whole exchange here. You might be familiar with something called the law first mentioned. If you take any theology classes, there's this thing called hermeneutics. It's the art of... of uh, See, I don't even know what it means. It's, a, it's, it's, it's the art or science of interpretation of the Bible. And one of the things that you learn in hermeneutics is the law first mentioned. And what it, that says is anytime something is mentioned for the very first time in the Bible, that will have interpretive context every other time it's mentioned or that things happen. In other words, for example, when Jesus said, you know, uh, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That was the first time Jesus mentioned the word 
church. And that definition of church there, it can be applied to every other time church is mentioned in the New Testament. We see that the church is supposed to be prevailing. We see that the church is Jesus' church. It's not a church. It's not the church. He says, hey, it's my church. Do you see what I'm talking about? The first miracle, water and the wine, that was the very first miracle Jesus did. And so it has interpreted context to all the other miracles that he's done. Have you ever thought about that? Why was Jesus' first miracle like water and the wine? I mean, mean, he's just kind of kicking up a party, you know what I'm saying? I mean, why didn't he raise somebody from the dead? Something like that. Because that wine... Turning water into wine, that was a type and shadow of the born-again experience, that we are those vessels. He takes out our dirty water, and He gives us the new wine of the Holy Spirit. That's why He tells Nicodemus in the next chapter, you must be born again. What Jesus is saying, every miracle I do, point to me to get people born again. And see, because you ought to give yourselves a hand, because you are a church that leads people to Christ and gets them born again. Can you give God a hand for that? So anyway... So anyway, here is the first time that Jesus talks about ministry in the context of after he was transformed, after his glorified state. This is the first thing that he says in relation to ministry. And so this is real serious. We need to take a look at this. See, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, if you want to see that transforming power of God, if you want to see that glory that you saw on the mount, working in practical life, working in everyday life, working to free people up, you need to understand the power of prayer and fasting. And what Jesus tells him here, he he diagnoses the problem. That's what he's doing here in verse 17. When Jesus answered, he says, Hey, look, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? So here's what... He's saying here, and here's what I want to unpack tonight for the next few minutes. Jesus is diagnosing the problem of our unbelief. Now here, with this boy, it was this demon and had to do with these seizures and these things that were going on in his life. But I want you to think about what are the things in your life, this kind of, you fill in the blank. Depression, addiction, problem in your marriage, physical ailment, financial situation. This kind of will only change through prayer and fasting. It's not that prayer and fasting changes God's mind and twisted, twists His arm to do something that He didn't want to do. What prayer and fasting does, it aligns us with God's will so that God is able to do what He already wants to do. Fasting doesn't change God. Fasting changes us. And the problem in our lives, it's the same problem of every... Our problem is unbelief. And Jesus says, here is why you have so much unbelief. He says, you're faithless and perverse. In other words, you're faithless. There is a lack of faith. You are too disconnected from God. And then he says perverse. That word perverse there, it doesn't just mean sin, but it also implies, it implies worldly. See, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, here's the problem. 
You want to see miracles? Here's, here's what you need to do to see a miracle. Or here's what you need to understand. First of all, you're too disconnected from God right now. Secondly, there's perverse. You're too connected to the world. Faithless and perverse generation. He's saying, look, you're too disconnected from God and you're too connected to the world. And when you have disconnection from God and too much connection to the world, that is a breeding ground for unbelief where you can't believe God for the impossible, where you're not walking in faith. Are you following what I'm saying? And this is the challenge that he presents to us in the church today for 2011. Is this going to be a great year for you? Are you going to see this kind of whatever change in your life? Here's what Jesus is saying. Our problem is, listen, we're too disconnected from God, but we're also too connected to the world. So this is why he says it takes prayer and fasting. Prayer connects us to God, but fasting disconnects us from the world. And you need both. Prayer connects us to God and fasting disconnects us from the world. You need both. To see the power of God really work in your life. To see the glory of God like they saw on the Mount of Transfiguration to really start to work in your everyday life. For God to get what He put on the inside of you working on the outside of you. Listen, you don't need to try to get more stuff from God. You need to learn how to use what God gave you when you got saved. He's already given you everything you need. You don't need a double portion. Man, you got Christ. When you got Christ, you got it all. Our... That's our challenge. Our challenge is not trying to get more from God and give me more blessing and I need to get this. No, you already have everything that you would ever need that pertains to life and godliness on the inside of you. You have Christ in you. You have the glory of God on the inside of you. What they saw on the Mount of Transfiguration, you have on the inside of you. All you need to do is get connected to God and get disconnected from the world and what's on the inside of you will start working on the outside of you and you'll see yourself freed up you'll see people freed up and you'll have the best year ever in 2011 come on can you give god a hand for that pray i'm a i'm an avid hunter do we have any hunters in the house i love duck hunting any duck hunters in the house okay like two of you all right the rest of you will that's the next time i come back i'll preach on duck hunting but anyway when I, I go duck hunting, I'll never forget when I got into duck hunting and, and uh, I would went, uh, had been hunting for a couple of years, you know, and all throughout the year I'd shoot my gun and everything, shotgun, I'd clean it up a little bit and it shot fine. I'll never forget after one season this guy said, hey man, you need to give your gun a deep cleaning. I said, what do you mean? He said, man, you need to take, I know it looks clean right now and it's shooting fine, but you really need to take that thing apart and 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 and, and really clean. I said, all right. So he told me, here's how you take it apart and get a little thing of gasoline and put the trigger mechanism in and all this kind of stuff. So I took it all apart. The gun looked fine. It looked, it looked clean to me. It was working fine. And I'm telling you, when I took that thing apart and I put that trigger mechanism into the gasoline, all of a sudden, all of this gunk started floating to the top. I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe that the trigger, the gun was that dirty. It had been working fine. 
But when I put it in that gas, all this gunk started coming to the top. Listen, that's what fasting does to us. We're going through our normal lives. We're, we're reading our Bibles. We're coming to church. But the world has a way of gunking us up. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It just gunks us up. I mean, man, we're, I mean, there's so many messages and media and television shows. I mean, God, you just turn on the TV. I can't watch TV. Every time I turn on the TV, it's a vampire show. I, it's a, it's a, how, how many vampire shows? I'm, I'm, I saw, it's a vampire show. I've turned the channel. It's another vampire show. I turned the channel. It's another vampire. I mean, people sucking blood, people showing fangs. I'm, I, that's it. No more. Twilight, man. Who's that girl on Twilight? Bella. God. And Bella, her life is so tough and oh, it's so complicated. Should I love the vampire or the werewolf? I'm so depressed. I'm going to throw myself off a cliff. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Man. Vampires and all the gunk, man, and Twitter and social media and it's, all that stuff's fine, but it just has a way of gunking us up. And by the way, if you're on Twitter, we don't need to know every detail of your life. I woke up. I'm having cereal. I'm going to Starbucks. The line's long. I'm going to get a latte. They didn't make it hot. I will unfollow you in a heartbeat, all right? But we just have a wake up. How many of you have seen the show Hoarders? Hoarders? You don't, you don't watch that show? It's like the best show on television. That and I shouldn't be alive. It's a great show. Hoarders, you know what the problem is about these people that hoard? You know what they do? They gunk up their house. And hoarders, and you go in their house, and there's so much stuff, and you can hardly move. See, the, 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 what's, why it's so devastating is that their family can't live there. And it's not because they don't have a big enough house. It's just that they have so much junk in their house. They don't have any space to live, to move, to breathe. I want to ask you something. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God created the earth as a dwelling place for man. But God created man as a dwelling place for him. Does God have enough room in his temple to live and move and breathe? Or have we gunked it up? That's what Jesus said. You're faithless. You're too disconnected from God. You're perverse. You're too gunked up. You're too connected to the world. So you need to pray and fast. You want to get that kind of unbelief out. You want to, you want to see your... Let, let me tell you what fasting does. When you fast and pray, and you need both, you get the power back in your willpower. Some of you right now, the commandments of Jesus are burdensome. The commandments of Jesus are not supposed to be burdensome. Some of you, listen, you've lost your joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I've always heard this. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, fact and it's faith and then it's feelings. 
And that is true. But do you know this? There are certain feelings that are intertwined with your faith. You know, the Bible says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you that God wants you to feel good. He wants you full of the Holy Spirit. He wants you walking in joy. That's why the Bible says it doesn't say serve the Lord. It says serve the Lord with gladness. The Bible doesn't say just be a giver. It says be a what? Cheerful giver. The joy of the Lord. Some of you need your joy back. And that's what fasting does. It gets your, those feelings back that God wants you to have. It puts the power back in your willpower. It, it, on the inside, it's like a, it's like a, a, an atomic bomb that goes off that awakens you to this whole new reality with God, as I call it. There's so many testimonies when people go on a season of prayer and fasting, just like Greg and his daughter, and how she had those two miracle babies at the end of the 21 day fast. This kind of only changes through prayer and fasting. It's not that God changed his mind. God needs to change our minds. We're the ones walking in unbelief. And we just can't. Walk in the faith that he wants us to walk in. Unless we have seasons. Not only of prayer, but also what? Fasting. Fasting. Let me close with this. <clears throat> fasting is proactive, not just reactive. You might be saying, well, Stovall, you know, I'm not facing any real crisis. That's great. Listen, you, we shouldn't fast just when we get in a crisis. Fasting is supposed to be proactive. Those disciples, when that boy came to them with, their, with his need, those dis- disciples, they weren't ready. In other words, it, it, it was too late at that point. They should have been praying and fasting before the crisis hit. And you don't know what 2011 is going to bring you. But what God wants you to do, He wants you to be prepared. Fasting is proactive, not just reactive. Be prepared to face what's going to come your way in 2011. And I promise you, this year will be your best year ever. If it's your best year spiritually. Thanks so much for letting me talk to you tonight. Thank you. Oh, you don't need... Let's pray. Why don't we pray right now? Let me pray right now. Thank you. Thank you. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. God, it's just been awesome being here with your people at Seacoast. Thank you for just incredible leadership and everything that you're going to do in Seacoast, God. Lord, Seacoast exists to help people become fully devoted followers. I pray in this upcoming year that all of us, Lord, and the hundreds, even thousands that are going to come in, we're going to be fully devoted followers. Lord, this year is going to be our best year ever because it's going to be our best year spiritually. God, we're going to get the gunk out. Lord, we are going to connect to you through prayer and we are going to disconnect from the world through fasting. Lord, in this 21 days, we're going to turn off the TVs. We're going to stop watching so much news. We're going to disconnect from some of the social media. That's what I mean by that statement there. We've we've got to disconnect from that stuff. And we're going to connect to you like never before. Awaken us, God, this year. In Jesus' name, amen.